word that is, is meant to show division or distinction, the things that would set us apart from one another. But just like we spoke last week, the power of God is to take things that are different and bring them together in unity. And that's the same that he does in these different kinds of gifts in the body. That there's different forms, there's different functions, there's different mixtures of these gifts in us. And there's different ways that they're applied in real life situations or in the amounts that they're given, the timing that they're used for. But they're all meant to portray that there's one spirit giving or distributing these gifts. It's apparent that the church of Corinth was having issues with some arrogance or some pride over the gifts that they were giving, thinking that the gift was a reflection of the person, that it meant that they were skilled or that they were above others. But we see first, as we consider the source of spiritual gifts, that they're given, distributed by the Holy Spirit. But there's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. All of these gifts are used with the same devotion of your mind. It's not to serve yourself, but to serve Christ and his kingdom. And that's crucial when understanding Christian service is why you serve and, and who you serve. Are you using the church as an area or an arena or a platform to display yourself? Or are you coming here to have your needs met or to be served? Or are you using those gifts to serve Christ, remembering who gave them to you and why? Well, we also know that gifts are empowered by the Father. And this is really important here. There's different kinds of working, and there's different ways you see these gifts in action, but all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. This shows the divinity of the Father, his knowledge to know who to place where and at what time. And this is really important because if you think that the gifts you have make you special... If you're keeping up with the Bible reading plan, you're going to get to Numbers 22 on Thursday. And you understand that God chose to speak through the mouth, mouth of a donkey to reach Balaam. He can use anyone. So if, if you go ahead and adjust that vernacular of donkey, knowing that he spoke through the mouth of a donkey, you understand the point I'm making. God can use anyone. God can use anything to complete his work. The gifts are not a reflection of you, but it's a reflection of God. All gifts come from the same source. And so we know that when we talk about these gifts, uh, the book of Romans 12 addresses the gifts as well. And, it, and they, Paul says it a little differently there. He says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. And this is speaking in the context of gifts. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what God does through us. And that's the spiritual gifts that we use in service to him. We also know that, that gifts are used in this same purpose. There's this, there's this purpose of these gifts not to exalt ourselves, not to exalt our church, but to exalt Christ and to serve one another. Verse 7, to each one manifestation of the Spirit is given, meaning this spiritual gift can be different for each one of us, but it's all given for the common good. It's given for the same purpose. And God gives us these gifts with the expectation that we'd use them for their purpose. And that's the first pitfall we get into, is that he gifts us and then we neglect that gift. We're not using them to serve one another, to use them for the common good. 
but also, as we see here, that we use them for the right purpose, not for our self-interests, not for our self-advancement, but over and over again, we read in the scriptures, it's about the community. It's about the body of Christ, not our selfish desires or our personal whims. And this can often cause significant and lasting damage to the body as if you're using your gifts for the wrong reason. You're abusing them. But this is what's amazing about the scriptures is a different apostle, a decade later writing to a different church, has the exact same conclusion in spiritual gifts in 1 Peter 4. That each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As we understand, spiritual gifts are not a gift of your faith. It's not a gift of your abilities. It's a gift of God's grace. He graces these abilities to you to be used for a specific purpose. Now, as we read today, there's a long list of gifts that that were presented in verses 8 through 10, 9 to be exact. We're going to go through all of them. But this is where spiritual gifts can get a little confusing because we think that there's this one comprehensive list in the Bible. There's, there's actually not. There's four different lists in the scriptures that have at least two spiritual gifts listed together. And this is where it's easy to remember. It's Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Now, no two of those lists are the same. In fact, if you see the, the words that are bolded there, those are the words or those are the gifts that are very specific to that portion of Scripture. And even in 1 Corinthians 12, what we just read, later on, verses we didn't read, list different gifts than, the, than what we're going to be studying today. So we look at this and think there's this exhaustive list of gifts there are. And if, depending on how you translate this, there's about 20 that are there. And then we would think now there's just 20 different ways and we like to pigeonhole ourselves into what God has created us to be based on our understanding. But one could argue that these lists are given just as an example to show how there's diversity of gifts in the body, but all of them work together to complement one another. And studying these things can point us in the right direction, but, but you could argue that anything given by the Spirit used to serve Christ in the body and entrusted and empowered by God is a gift of the Spirit. And if you make cookies for your neighbor who's grieving the loss of someone and and use that as an opportunity to point them to Christ and to bring them into the kingdom, maybe you have the spiritual gift of cookies? I I don't know. I'm not saying that's a thing. but, But the idea is we like to look at these things through a very narrow lens and we like to pigeonhole ourselves. And we'll talk about that in a bit when it comes to applied service. But when we look at these gifts specifically in the book of, uh, in the, the, the verses we read today, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, there's nine things here. And we're going to go through them kind of quick, but we, we start to see how they work with one another to accomplish the same purpose as gifts from the same source. We have to look at these gifts through that lens, that purpose to understand their functions. And first is the gift, as we read, the message of wisdom. This is a gift of the Spirit. And this simply means that you have insight into the truths of God, that you can separate truth from falsehood. We often view this kind of thing in conjunction with age or experience as a Christian, but that's not always the case. This is a gift of grace and something that God gives to believers that even young believers could speak wisdom into a situation. 
The gift of knowledge is then applying that wisdom to everyday life. Wisdom is knowledge applied, and it means putting hands and feet and, and heart to that wisdom. How do we live out that wisdom in everyday life? And then we see the gift of faith. Now, don't be confused about this because every Christian has faith. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you're saved is through faith. And we misunderstand the idea of faith, and sometimes we think faith means boldness. That I'm going to go just do things without any regard because God will protect me no matter what. And this is where we see that faith and stupidity sometimes have a fine line between the two that can be blurred. You don't walk into the street without looking saying, God will protect me. That's not faith, that's foolishness. There's other times we think of, of faith as this relentless optimism that it will always, always be okay. And that you say, don't worry, she will not die. Don't worry, that pain will go away because I have faith. Well, that's, that's not faith either. Because God works in ways we don't understand. And as we'll talk about in a moment, healing is not automatic, nor is it predictable. But faith is an exceptional measure of trust in God. And remember, these gifts are to be used not for ourselves, but for one another. The gift of faith is someone who inspires others to trust in God despite the circumstances. When everything is going wrong, you remind people that God's providence and his will are perfect. And this is something in the last year we've, we've faced a lot of difficulties. Some of you have used your gift of faith to encourage me. And there's been those moments where I'm just very honest in discussion with some of you, and then you point me back to remember God can be trusted no matter what. The gift of faith is inspiring others to renew and deepen their trust in God. There's an Eastern saying that I think is beautiful to describe faith. And if you've been outside camping in nature, you know one of the, the greatest things is when you wake up in the morning and the birds are chirping. They always at sunrise are, are singing their songs. But once in a while you get that one bird that likes to start doing it at four in the morning and it kind of wakes you up and is like, kind of annoying. That's really a great example of faith. And the saying is this, that faith is the bird who knows the glory of dawn and yet still sings in the dark. That's what faith is for us. That knowing no matter how dark it is, we know the horizon is going to be, the sun will be breaking over it soon. There will be a dawn, and yet we sing through the darkest times. Now we're going to get into some gifts that we refer to as the charismatic gifts. And these are a little bit harder to understand and can potentially be divisive in some settings. But one of them is, is healing that we read here. And we know that this is something that certainly happened in the scriptures, that people were healed by Christ and, and by the apostles. And it's exactly as it sounds, that there's something wrong and it's corrected. Now, but where we, where we fall short on this is we think of it only in terms of physical healing. But the Greek actually reads here, gifts of healings, plural in both cases. That there's many kinds of healings we can experience as a Christian, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational or situational. God doesn't always bring healing, but we understand when there is healing, it's the power of God through an individual and it's a gift of grace. And this is where we have to be careful that we don't view these gifts as automatic or as an extension or a result of our faith, but rather they're given according to God and his purposes. We remember it is God who heals. The mean, 
the method, the moment, the mystery, that all belongs to God, but we understand he is the one who heals, not individuals. And miracles and miraculous powers, again, is exactly as it sounds like. It's the same word that's used to describe the miracles of Jesus. Things like restoring sight and, and making the lame walk again and multiplying loaves and fishes, raising people from the dead. These are the miracles that can be a gift of the Spirit. But we're reminded again, this is the power of God manifested in people, not their power, and again, not a measure of their faith. And where we misunderstand this again is we have this idea is if you just believe hard enough, if you just have enough faith, God must do what you think you want him to do, that you can will him into action. But that's not how it works. If miracles were automatic, they wouldn't be called a miracle. These are divine things that are done in God's knowledge and God's foresight. Really, when we understand that idea of just believing hard enough for a miracle to happen, that's not based in any scriptural principle. That's actually based in Eastern spiritualism, something called the power of will. That if you are one of the collective force of the universe, that if you align your energy into something to happen, that the, the universe will bend to your will. And if you think hard enough about something, it'll come to be. That's not a Christian principle. But we know that miracles are completely divine and completely God's to give as he chooses. But we know here, again, that it is a gift that can be given by grace to people. Another one of those things is prophecy. And I'm going to start going through this a bit quicker. But just like the Old Testament, it's, it's people speaking the words of God, the message of God to a people. And this can be a group of people. This can be a generation or a country or it could be a single person, but it's God using a person to speak his message just like the donkey to Balaam in Numbers 22, that God would use this message, this messenger, to speak. It's not always future-focused either. We always think that prophecy is like a foretelling, but it's actually a forthtelling of God's word. And the majority of prophecy in the Old Testament actually was not future-focused. It was speaking about current events. But we know that this is one of those things that can be done occasionally. It can be done in a moment, or it could be an office for a person. But in the end, it's always God speaking to the person, not the prophet speaking for themselves. And as we understand, if there's prophecy, there also needs to be discernment. Or really, uh, how the, the, the text says it, is that there is someone who is distinguishing between spirits. For as long as there's been prophets, there's also been false prophets. They're speaking from the wrong spirit, so to speak. And there's really three spirits they could be speaking from. The spirit of God, which is the true message of him. The spirit of us, or our flesh, or evil spirits. And this is where false prophets aren't always necessarily evil prophets, but they can still be false, that they're wrong, they're, they're disillusioned by themselves. So the one who has the gift of discernment is the one who's able to tell the difference of what is a true message of God and what is a false message of God. And that's where we understand here, that those who understand the message of God for us, if you know the scriptures, you know the word of God, you can distinguish or discern what is true and what is not. But this is a special measure given to people for special circumstances in the scriptures. Another is the gift of tongues. And this is one, it could mean speaking a different language uh, that someone else may understand or speaking a different language that nobody understands. But those who have the gift of tongues, they don't know what they're saying. And this is a very mysterious gift that not a lot is written about 
in the scriptures outside of these verses in 1 Corinthians and also in the book of Acts. But this is one that can be done personally or can be done in a congregational setting. But for as long as it's done in a congregational setting, there's the gift of interpretation, which we read in 1 Corinthians 14, that someone would be interpreting for the congregation what is being said. This is not something for the person with the gift of tongues to lord over other people to show how spiritual they are, but rather it is for the benefit of the congregation if it's done in that setting. So all that to say, you see how these gifts work together, and this is an example of those gifts, that they complement one another for one distinct purpose. But as we talk more specifically about charismatic gifts, there's really just, I want to leave us with a, just a, a loose understanding of how these things work. And that it can be extremely divisive because there's two main thoughts of how you can view, view the spiritual gifts. And one is continuanism, meaning that you believe they have continued until today and all of these things still happen in the church. One is, the other is cessationism, which is that you believe that they no longer exist in the church, that they were for a specific time and that time has come and gone. And this creates a whole spectrum of thought. And, and on one side, you could go so far to say that every believer must exemplify these gifts or they're not a believer. On the other side, you could say, no one should be doing these things, and if you do, it's actually proof of some form of deception. But my, my suggestion is to avoid those kinds of extremes. Okay? I think the truth is maybe somewhere in the middle of the two, and, and both of those conclusions are come to not by any specific scripture, but rather assertion that if you put different things together, you might come to that conclusion. And so you have to really think about those things Clearly for yourself, come to a conviction, but also don't hold it do to it dogmatically. And I really believe that God can and does work in many mysterious and miraculous ways. It's not up to me to tell God what he can and cannot do through spiritual gifts. And as our, our statement of faith shows, that there is kind of a gray area written into that. But what we do explain is the purpose of those gifts. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son, to convict and regenerate people, to guide and instruct believers, and to empower the Christian to live a godly life. So it's not so much about what gifts you have, but how they're being used. And that's why through all of this, I think Paul brings us back to that same topic, the source of these gifts. Verse 11, that they're all the work of one and the same Spirit, that God is the one that's working through all of us, that he distributes them to each one. So it's God who decides who gets what. There is no guarantee anyone gets any specific kind of gift. And that he gives just as he determines. So this is completely the will of God that assigns spiritual gifts into the believer's lives. As so we think about this in application, the first thing when you think about your gifts, or the gifts that God has given you, is to put them to use. If you're not serving in any way in the church, even in what seems like a very insignificant way, then start. And that's often how we, we begin to understand our giftings is just by putting them into action and meeting needs of the community. Now, research shows that only 15 to 20% of regular attending Christians are serving in any way, which makes sense with the 80-20 principle, right? 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I think this is a great disservice to the church, that there's many who come only to receive each week and don't give, don't serve to the church. We also need to assess the opportunities 
through the needs of the community, not what you believe is your personal gifting. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say you must identify your gift before you serve. And so oftentimes we'll take those spiritual gift inventories, which I think can be helpful, but you might go through it, list of 40 questions, and it says you are 97% gifted in service. What does that mean? You are 95% gifted in prophecy. Does that mean now that we should start a prophecy committee at our church and, and have prophecy services? No, maybe that means that you could be a mentor and you're speaking into someone's life specifically, that God is using you to speak to that person. So you understand, we, we look at these things through this pigeonholed idea that the needs of the community must meet how I'm gifted, but rather it's how I'm gifted is determined by the needs of the community and there's this applied service that as you're working, often you'll understand how you're gifted. Spiritual gifts inventories don't help you discover something new about yourself. Usually, they just confirm what you already knew because you're already serving. If you're not serving, you won't understand your gifts. And something like a spiritual gifts inventory may not help you. What we see here is that knowing your gifts is not the important part. It's walking in the Spirit. It's walking to the will of God, and He will lead you to the opportunities that utilize the ways He's gifted you. And that's where we see here, and really, I know we have a lot of text left, don't worry, we're going to go through this pretty quick. The coordinated body at work. When we see the body working optimally, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I don't know if any of you uh, have had a chance to see a professional athlete up close. And one of my, my favorite sport is baseball, and it's kind of painful to talk about baseball today with the weather, but it's coming soon. You know, you take it for granted how finely tuned these athletes are, especially in something like baseball. It looks easy on TV, but it's probably the most difficult game we play, and there's decades of work and dedication that go for the hand-eye coordination, for the muscle development, to know what to do with the ball when you get it, to hit a round ball with a round bat. And it's, it's incredible when you see it up close, but especially a couple summers ago, I watched a high school baseball game, and the next day I watched a Twins game. And seeing the disparity between the skill level there is amazing, but they get to that point because they train every part of their body to work together. And that's, that's how the church should be. That though, as a body, just as a body, the one has many parts, all its many parts form one body. That's how it is with Christ. And we see in verses 12 through 14 the idea that we are a diverse yet unified body. And it's a point we talked about last week is unity, and so we don't have to talk about it much today. But the idea that all these parts are so different from one another, but they work together perfectly and in harmony. We also know that no member of the body should be undervalued. And here we have this somewhat comedic text of the, of the foot saying to the hand, I'm, no, I'm not like that hand. I don't have that opposable thumb and those nice, long, slender fingers. And, and it's just, they do all this stuff that I never get to do. I'm just walking through the dirt. And, and so what the, hand, what the foot would say to the hand is, I'm never going to be like them. So I'm not a part of the body. And the ear says to the eye, I'm not like you. I'm just a bunch of cartilage. I don't know what I do, but you have this beautiful iris, and you can see, and you can use your eyes for depth perception. There's so much you can do that I can't do. And we do the same thing in the body when we compare ourselves against each other. I can't teach. 
I can't sing. I can't preach or lead a meeting. I'm not like that other person, so I don't belong here. But the scripture we read is that is deception. To think like that is deception. But it doesn't change the truth. Even if you think you're not a part of the body because you compare yourself, you are still a part of the body. And what you do and what you're gifted with is absolutely crucial to the health of the body. If you are gone, if you leave, then a vital part of the body is lost. We also see that no member should be overvalued. And this is the idea of pride and arrogance uh, slipping in. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. What happens to the eye or the head if it removes itself from the body? It doesn't survive long, right? There's this prideful comparison or this rivalry that we can bring ourselves into when we lose sight of the source and the purpose of our gifts. No pastor or leader or teacher is stronger than the body that they serve in. That's where we see churches can rise quickly and they can fall quickly. But when the body works together in every part, no matter how insignificant you may feel, is working together with a common purpose, the body is strong and the body completes its purpose. This is a perfect metaphor that Paul uses. He reuses it in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4, but throughout this week as I was sermon prepping, my three-year-old actually helped me come up with another example of how the body works. Mason didn't know he helped me sermon prep this week, but he's in a phase right now. He loves puzzles. He has this 18-piece puzzle of Noah's Ark that he's probably done, well, more correctly, I've helped him do about three dozen times in the last week. But it really made me think about what we are as a body and, and how a puzzle works the same way. And he keeps bringing me this box of all these pieces and he says, Dad, I want to do the puzzle. Dad, I want to do the puzzle. And so I'll, I'll, I'll take it out and I'll open up the box and all the pieces are in there. He says, no, I want to do the puzzle. And it made me think, it's, it's kind of like how we are. If we put a bunch of bodies in the same church, but no one is using their purposes, we're not a puzzle. We're just people in a box. We're designed for something very specific, and no two pieces are alike. Gathering in a building, gathering people in a building doesn't make us a church. Living up to our purposes makes us a church. But sometimes, Mason likes to try to put the wrong pieces together. And there's one like head of a, a giraffe that he likes to always try to put in the, head of a, the body of a sheep, and it's not even cut the right way, but he just keeps forcing it in there. It doesn't work. And we do the same thing. There's pieces that don't fit, but we're sure that that's our gifting. We're sure that's our spot of service, and we wedge ourselves in. What you do is you hold the community hostage to your ideals. But in reality, whether it's something you see as important or unimportant, it doesn't matter. You're a piece that's there for a reason. And for as long as you try to keep going in the wrong spot, there's someone else that should be in the spot that isn't. We need to know where we are to serve. Well, you might think, I'm just one in a thousand, right? I'm just one of 200 at Maple Plain Community Church. What's the big deal if I'm not there? Well, this is a beautiful masterpiece of a puzzle, but your eyes are drawn to one thing, right? 
the one missing piece. And you miss the majesty of the mountains and the beautiful architecture of that castle because there's a piece missing. That's how it works in the church. If there's one piece missing, it's noticeable. And the whole picture, the whole puzzle suffers. But we are a people that are created specifically, a group that God has gathered for every part to have a place. And when we do that, it's strong, it's complete, and the picture is clear of who we are. The body is never done on accident. God puts all the pieces together exactly as he intends it to be. And so as we wrap up today, we think about the key takeaways of Christian service. And the first is that every Christian is uniquely and intentionally gifted to serve. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make copies. And that's one of the beautiful things about God and his mastery, his artwork in this world and the believers. There are no carbon copies. Satan is the one who likes to copy and mimic. God creates individuals, unique individuals, and there are no accidents of how you are, have been gifted to serve. We also know that spiritual gifts are given only by God's grace. It's not a measure of our faith or our natural abilities, but it is God's gift to us that he gives in the ways he chooses and the amounts he chooses. There's nothing you can do to develop that gift further but to deepen your trust in God, knowing that he'll grace you with what you need. We know that every piece is important. That's our third takeaway. The service of every Christian is vital to the health and the success of of the church. If there's one piece missing, if there's one piece removed, then the whole body suffers. If you are a believer in Jesus, he has something for you to do in the body. And what you are doing is vital to the health and success of our church and the future of the kingdom. Use the gifts God has given you to serve him and to serve others. Let's pray as we close. God, we thank you for this message. And and God, we know that there's so many different ways we can apply this into our lives. Uh, Individually, uh, there's, there's a different way for all of us to apply these things, the ways that you've gifted us. So I just pray... Lord, that you would just be speaking again to us, that you'd be nudging us in the right direction, knowing that you care enough about us, that you have such grace to, uh, to, uh, to apportion these things to us, but God, we know that all of them are by your design and for your purpose. So, God, I just pray that we'd be faithful to that, faithful stewards of all you've given us as we serve one another, as we serve you and connect others with you. And we pray this now in your name. Amen.